Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. In this episode, we will be discussing the difference between user experience design and service design, and just how much visual designers need to embrace these disciplines. We also cover more in-depth the different types of user research and how it's used at Capital One, and discuss the role boot camps such as the Iron Yard and General Assembly play in the education of a user experience designers. Finally, we talk about what makes a good user experience design portfolio. Today's guest is Jisoo Hyatt. Jisoo is a digital product designer specializing in user experience and service design at Capital One. Jisoo used to be a lab researcher studying the neurological, neurobiological and molecular mechanisms of appetite control. But now, Jisoo applies the problem-solving skills she gained in the lab to designing and creating innovative products. Welcome, Jisoo. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you. So um, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, in your bio, you mentioned the term service design. Uh, Can you explain what service design is and also... Where does the graphic designer or visual designer fit into the grand scheme of things of service design? Um, That's a really good question. So, well, when you think about um, UX design, you know, service design, um, so there are lots of parts that make up an experience. And um, when you think about somebody offering a service rather than, a single object or thing, you know, like a bank or an airline company or a restaurant, you know, part of that experience that a user or customer will go through is the service and all the things that make up a service. So service design is where you figure out all of the backend operations and infrastructure, all of the, mm, the front end and the backend people involved and all the touch points where the user interacts with the business. And, um, kind of orchestrating it so that all of these things, the um, hidden parts of a service is smooth so that a user has a streamlined experience. I've heard someone say it's bad news to show your corporate underpants, um, which is, Mm -hmm. I guess, what happens when a service feels disconnected to a user and you can see something wasn't figured out all the way through. So um, that's my view or definition of service design. Um, anyway, so at Capital One, we are a services company. So service design is a huge aspect of what we do. And, um, and you know, that's part of like transforming our design team and the, and the thinking around designing services um, was how we, um, uh, why we brought an adaptive path, um, our own special in-house experts on service design. Um, as far as how graphic design fits into service design, um, I just think of service design as part of user experience design. And so it would just fit in the same way that I think exp- or graphic design would fit into UX, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, and, and so the reason I asked that is it's kind of hard for me to articulate, but when I'm teaching like a UX process to my visual design students, okay, let's, let's even back up. Let's, let, you know, they're basically, I'll show them like maybe how to do some heuristic testing on an app. And visual designers, like the students are really good at figuring out like where a screen is needed, where a, where a touch point is needed or where a touch point isn't necessarily needed. And they're really good at s identifying those, or at least it mm -hmm. seems to me. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where I was, I guess I, where I was coming from is, are they, do they just, you know, design the visual that they're told to, or, you know, do they get a chance to like look at things and saying like, Hey, you know, a visual isn't necessary for this step that you thought was, I guess, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that I know if visual design, vis, sorry, visual designers, if they are thinking through the flows like that, I, I would consider that part of the um, UX process as well, because, you know, user flows and thinking through um, all of the steps that a user would have to go through so that um, the visual designer could um, figure out what, you know, steps and what screens that they need to des design. Um, I feel like they are, um, I don't know, UX and UI are just so closely intertwined in that aspect. And so you can't really do just like one part or the other part. You kind of have to do both. Okay. Yeah. So also in your bio, um, you state that I used to be a lab researcher studying the neurobiological and molecular mechanisms of appetite control. But now I apply my problem-solving skills I gained in the lab to designing and creating innovative products. Um, I'm asking this because, you know, I don't think there is like a formula for teaching UX and a lot of people become UX designers from radically different backgrounds. So can you give specific examples of what you learned in the lab or what processes you learned and kind of let let the listeners know how that how you apply that what you learned in a lab as a UX designer yeah that's a great question um so I guess it's really in reference to my skills that I learned as a scientist and yeah. um, my overall approach to solving problems rather than specifically my lab skills obviously I'm not you know, running Western blots or pipetting or doing any other wet lab techniques all the time <laughs> as a designer. Um, but more of my thought process that I gained while trying to be a scientist, um, I use more often as a, as a designer than one would think. Um, so I guess some parallel or translational skills could be, um, so if there's one thing that you have to be able to do as a scientist is to ask a um, good questions. And this has helped me a lot. Um, you know, good designers are naturally curious and ask um, a lot of good questions about their user. And also, I guess just being able to parse through a lot of information and coming up with something understandable um, from all of that information. Um, I guess backing up design decisions with data. Um, and in science, we 
often defend our own science and projects a lot when we present and um and then you feel like your intelligence is being judged by a bunch of other scientists. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that you can back it up. And um, and I think this aspect has also helped me to handle taking critique really well. Um, and also um, just when we're presenting in general, just um, being able to persuade somebody in a presentation, uh, whether you're presenting designs to your team or you're teaching non-designers at your company about design, which will happen, um, just that skill is very important. Um, and part of that is being able to tell a story or a narrative, um, so that you can persuade them. And I don't know, I think just overall being able to take a more methodical and strategic approach has been really helpful. Okay. So I'm going to follow that up with just, so it sounds like many of the skills that you just mentioned, it sounds like they're, they're parallel to what, I would call traditional UX skills, mm-hmm. but they're just coming from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. On your experiences with other UX designers, is there anything that your lab skills gave you um, that is just not, you know, not part of the normal UX process? Kind of like, you know, a UX superpower that you got from being a scientist. <laughs> um, I mean, I not really. I, I think, okay. um, yeah, just, I think they I mean, maybe they are UX superpowers just, but I I think um, just coming from uh, more of a, like a scientific background and just being able to think through all of these things more methodically. um, I mean, um, a lot of, it doesn't really even have to be from a scientific background. Um, I think people can attain all of these skills from like any background, you know. um, Okay. And I think what you just kind of like, you know, to follow up, you know, it's like add a little insight to what or just like my own views on what you just mentioned is I think that's why so many people come to UX from vastly different paths because there is it's the process. There's a process to UX that a lot of other professions, a lot of other things tend to share. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it takes, it takes the person who has those skills to make that realization that I can apply it. Um, and so I think right. that's what for I've sure. been seeing a lot of. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I can definitely tell you that, um, it's been really interesting to see all of these UX designers come from so many different fields and, um, they bring really valuable insights from their fields, but it's really mostly, um, a similar thought process or being able to think through a problem like this um, with, you know, maybe like a little bit of spin from, you know, whatever, wherever they were coming from. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. I, I know, you know what you're saying. So you're an experienced designer at Capital One. Can you talk a little bit about what you do at Capital One to help um, give the listeners an idea of what an experienced designer is and you know, with, it's definitely embedded within a large company like Capital One. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to back up and just kind of talk about what experience design is to me. So okay. um, I guess when um, you think about a ser- or a product or a service, um, the experience is how that product or service makes you feel and your journey um, throughout using that product or service. And um, so, for example, if um, if there are 
you know, two exact same clothing stores that are physically exactly the same, um, who carry exactly the same inventory um, with exactly the same um, prices. The experience is what makes a person go into one versus the other. Um, that's, I guess that's how I like to think of it. Mm-hmm. A UX or an experience designer is somebody who designs that experience. And um, so in my case, I help design experiences for digital products and services at um, Capital One. And so at first I thought, why would you need UX for a bank? Um, <laughs> and I guess that's certainly what I thought at first. But um, our mission on the design team at Capital One is to make... Uh, people's lives easier by lessening their stress around using their money since um, you know money can be a source of stress for a lot of people and so in my case um, specifically I work on the commercial bank side so the business the business side Mm -hmm. so I help people do their jobs easier um, is how we like to think about it and so um, specifically how I might design an experience would be you know doing um, you know conducting user research and um, various strategy activities that help the help inform the final design, um, and I try to make things more understandable um, and intuitive for the user. Um, we conduct usability testing to make sure that our designs um, are. We try to validate our designs um, by taking it to the user and seeing if they work. Um, and yeah. Okay. No, and I, and. There is a big difference between um, <laughs> of user experiences for financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just like one, I, and I think Capital One is one of my credit cards, and they do a really good job of, so it's my personal credit card, but sometimes I use it for, you know, when I travel and my institution will reimburse me for some things. It's super easy to go in to Capital One and, like, just get a, um, you know, like a screenshot, not a screenshot, but like I can click download, get a PDF of like a specific transaction that I can send off, you know, to our department accountant where uh, other banks I've had to like, you know, take screenshots and Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have enough information on it, I got to like, you know, I got to jump through flaming hoops to get like the financial information (laughs) off to the accountant where you're, you've, yours is so now I always use the Capital One card <laughs> when I'm great. traveling because I know I can, you know, extract that stuff super easily. So, no, that awesome. those things those things are important. Yeah, for uh, sure. <laughs> so you mentioned um, user research. Uh, can you talk about just talk about the user research? How do you give this? In, um, how do you conduct it? Like, what's the process for it? So it really depends on where we are in the project and mm-hmm. what questions we need to answer. But generally, there are a few different kinds of re- user research we can conduct. Um, one kind is mainly for discovery and trying to understand the user um, before we start um, coming up with solutions. And um, and this is what we, I guess, what some people call the problem space. Mm-hmm. And um, we are still trying, and this is when we are still trying to pin down what the exact problem that users are facing, um, et cetera. And the other research happens later when we've done some ideation, spent some time in what people call the solution space, and we're spending time thinking of solutions. We've done some prototyping. We and then um, so then this is when we would do some usability testing, taking our designs back and testing it with a user to see it in action. Um, so. 
in the discovery phase, um, again, it all depends on what we're trying to figure out. Um, if we're starting from scratch and need to understand our users and their needs, current pain points, um, we might do user interviews and observation studies. Um, and we just try to find users out there. We, um, we have user labs at Capital One um, who take care of a lot of, I guess, the logistics of finding people. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of design groups um, uh, utilize user labs for that. Um, for us, it's kind of a difficult challenge because um, our current end user for B2B, the commercial banking side, um, are a lot of very busy, like, you know, CFOs or account um, payable specialists um, who might not have a lot of time. So it, it has been kind of more of a challenge to find those users to interview. Um, so um, we're still trying to figure that out. But um, lately, we've been trying to utilize like our personal networks a little bit more to find more users. Um, anyway, so besides um, user interviews, so if we're trying to figure out, you know, let's say the information architecture for our website, we could do card sorting activities to see how people mentally group content in their heads um, to inform how we organize our IA and then which ultimately informs our navigation. So things like that. Okay. So how is that? So all that information that you gathered, the visual designer is then going to act upon it, I would assume, if it's following that kind of, you know, the process. So how do you package everything that you just said and give it to the visual designer so they can make a better button so they can whatever it is that they the ta that they're tasked to fix visually to achieve mm -hmm. the goal yeah for sure um so ideally i like our visual designers to be looped into the process the research okay. process as much as possible from the beginning so that they can ask their questions too and and are informed about what's going on um but with that said i know um with the resources constrained um i know that uh when the UX designers own the research aspect. We usually take all of our data that we gather from our interviews and observations and whatever the activity was and distill our findings into themes and takeaways mm -hmm. um, and make um, UX recommendations kind of. Um, and then we might just do that in a meeting or just kind of present it or we could just, uh, it could just be a, a conversation with our visual designers. And then um, we could all have a several... Yeah, several brainstorming sessions together with the mm -hmm. UX and the UI designers to turn the insights into maybe a set of general guidelines or principles that we want to stick to so that all of the visual designs kind of are coherent and um, are generally sticking to like the same overall look and um, UX principles. Mm -hmm. And then we might sketch out what solutions might look like based on those. But it's rarely ever, you know, I type up like an outline of like, this is what it has to be. And then I just like, it's like a waterfall process of me handing it off. It's a lot of collaboration and discussion. I'm glad, them. I'm glad, mm -hmm. I'm glad that was the answer because I, maybe it's just me personally, but I feel in design education in general, we do a, in, 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 in graphic design or visual design, we do a lot of handing as an educator. We do a lot of handing off to the students like here, design mm -hmm. a poster. Here's the content here, design a website. Here is the, the content. And 
there's, you know, like a neat set of instructions and, you know, everything's kind of, but here it sounds like it's, it's more of the designers better be taking really good notes, paying really close attention (laughs) um, to the information you're giving them because you're not going to neatly package it for them. (laughs) Right. For sure. Yeah. And later when we, when the visual designers have something that they like came up with, we'll um, usually do design reviews and, um, and then um, the UX designers can also give feedback and, mm-hmm. you know, give about like, hey, like this wasn't really in our data. Um, like, what about <laughs> this? And so, it's yeah, it's like a lot of back and forth throughout the <laughs> <Sorry>. process. <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing about the, oh, this wasn't, um, this wasn't in the data. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> students do that a lot. They, they tend to really design. Uh, it, it's hard, but they design for themselves. Oh, it's yeah. It's really sure. hard to, to, to break that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much training or exposure to user research do you think is necessary for your visual or graphic designers? Well, I may be biased because mm-hmm. I have a research background, but um, I think it's always good for you know visual designers to be at least somewhat familiar with the techniques and okay. have conducted research a few times. Um, I mean, they don't need to be experts in it. But if they are going to be part of a team that conducts research to inform the design, um, I think they should at least understand the process and be involved with coming up with questions and you know stuff like that. Since this output of this part will really inform the entire direction of the design, possibly. So. Yeah. No. And it. And that's. And that's the the trouble I'm having as an educator is because so design, the design should be working alongside UX visual design should be working alongside UX, but it's also should be working alongside with developers too. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> they, it, it's just like how, you know, like how, how much do they need of those two ancillary, but deeply connected professions? It, it's, a, it's, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge and I'm still trying to figure that part out yeah. to be honest. So, Something I recently decided I want to start doing, because like I said, I, I'm i in the mode where I hand things off, like design the website, um, is so I wanted to start doing is giving my graphic design students kind of like more detailed briefs that would consist of the type of information a UX designer would collect instead of just assigning a project. Um, Mm -hmm. And let me, so, okay. So this would be in lieu of like, yes, I also believe that they should be conducting their own research, but they can't conduct in a, in a visual design, graphic design program. They can't conduct a research for every project because they do need to focus on, you know, doing visual design but they still need to be able to work with the information that's handed, you know, handed to them from a UX designer. So what type of information would you suggest I include in a, in a brief to get my students thinking more holistically about their design projects? And did any of that make sense? Yes, (laughs) that made sense. Um, I guess the kind of information that you might include, well, it, I guess it always depends on the scope of the project, but yeah. in any case, 
um, information about the user that you usually gather during the research phase is probably the most important since UX designers are concerned about the people they're trying to solve problems for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things such as, you know, user behaviors and frustrations, pain points, motivations, their needs, stuff like that. But if you don't have time for students to spend time on, you know, going out to conduct research and even, you know, guerrilla research, mm -hmm. maybe instead of giving them a list of like spelled out user behaviors and frustrations, all of that, um, you could actually give them maybe a sample script of a user interview and have mm -hmm. them pick out their own insights of what they perceive about their users. And also this makes it a little bit more real to them um, about, okay. you know, with having to distill all of this information and interpreting it for themselves. And also just the user feels more real to them because they're actually reading their dialogue and stuff like that. And I think um, also this part of distilling all this information from the research is also the hardest part of research. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be good to okay. do. Mm -hmm. All right. So before I ask my next question, I want to mention, and this is for the listeners, something I've been avoiding talking about on the, on this podcast is I haven't talked really anything about, and I don't even want to use the term trade schools because I don't know enough to know if that's a fair a s term to use, of, but institutions like General Assembly and the Iron Yard um, that um, I think are immediately like come to mind, they offer user experience design training. And so I haven't really been talking about it because I don't know much about them. But they're, they seem to be viable option, and I'm coming across more and more uh, people who um, are you have that training and are, you know, working in the field. So my, so my question to you is, you are a UX design apprentice at Designation Labs. So designation is a 12-week in-person and with an additional 12-week virtual UX UI training program. So designation, you know, going for this UX UI training is a totally different subject than what you went to school for. Mm -hmm. How does the experience of a 12-week in-person and 12-week virtual program compared to a traditional four-year training program? Could you get away with just having that, we'll, we'll say it, a year of training? With, mm -hmm. Or did you, like, because you took general education requirements, there's so much other things that you took at the four-year program. Like, do you need both? Or would just the, you know, the, the training at designation be enough? So how do how do they compare? So yeah, obviously with programs like designation and general assembly, um, the boot camps, I guess what they call it, um, they're a lot more condensed, uh, very quick. You know, lots of information, very little time. We had um, maybe twelve to thirteen hour days between lecture and just hands on working time, um, and they're you know usually taught by people who um, currently work or have worked in industry, so um, they teach us about, you know, what's current, like what are the current practices, best practices in industry right now. Um, um, and I think they are a lot more focused on getting real world experience mm -hmm. um, during the boot camp. 
So um, part of the program that we had was where we had to work on like a world world real world project um, with you know startups nearby and actually getting um, doing a portfolio piece um, through our project with them. Um, as far as your question about whether both like traditional school and um, whether that's still required. Mm -hmm. And I thought of another way is... to ask it, if that helps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, like I said, I don't know anything about these programs. So I'm asking out of ignorance on my part. But gotcha. let's imagine you're a high school senior who just graduated. Mm -hmm. Would going to one of these boot camps be enough to get you into a career or do you need that like that whole list you know like that holistic training that you're going to get at a four-year institution or is you know does that make sense a different way to ask it yeah for sure um well two parts to my answer I guess yeah. um first part is I, I think I'm a little bit biased towards more holistic education mm -hmm. um holistic training and I think my traditional education has definitely still helped me yeah. um even if it's not directly related to my work right now I think it's just helped me just be more um I guess aware and just more Generally, just more educated, I guess. I, mm -hmm. I think it always helps. Um, uh, with that being said, um, I ha I don't really personally know if there are any if there's anyone out there who hasn't gone through like the um, the traditional program, regardless of whether it was design focused program or like a non design um, program, um, and they just went through the boot camp or um, a, a similar program like this and I don't really know how well they're doing maybe they maybe they're fine um, I think just personally for myself I just like to be more well-rounded and mm -hmm. more um, um, just have a better grasp on like other areas I think that's that always helps in the workplace too yeah and so that's the one thing that I was I've noticed that I it seems like the I'm for lack of a better word like I said the boot camps are like perfect for people who want to transition careers Mm -hmm. um, that don't need, you know, they've already got that like well-rounded, you know, education, have experience and, you know, now they need that focused training. Um, and, but I haven't met, like you said, I haven't met anybody who's like, you know, done the straight, you know, the only education, only formal education was one of these boot camps, And then all of a sudden started, you know, in the industry, I'd love to hear from those people like how they're doing or what their challenges were. Right. So, yeah. So I'm going to ask you, so the, like I said, I don't know much about them, but I've the only negative thing that I've, and I haven't even personally heard it. I've just seen it, you know, like bandied about is like some employer employers are having trouble knowing how to handle it because, you know, it, it's not a name brand. They don't have, you know, these, these, these boot camps don't have the, the history, um, that, you know, traditional four-year or even community colleges have, so they don't really know how to evaluate them. Obviously, Capital One took a chance on you. 
So mm-hmm. what type so what type of portfolio or proof of your skills did you get from your UX UI training that, you know, got your your job or you know, got your foot in the door? Um so I made an online portfolio uh, mm-hmm. as part of my work for the boot camp. And um, we work on it throughout the boot camp to put our you know, UX and UI skills into play. And I also learned um, front-end development. So I coded the website mm-hmm. myself to kind of display some of my skills. And uh, when I talked to my recruiters, they said that the strongest aspect of my portfolio was um, how in-depth my case studies were, mm-hmm. or at least just that one, uh, the Pulse Band one on my uh, website, and how um, it told a complete narrative and showed my design, I guess, thought process. And so if your prospective employer can understand how you think and how you solve problems during that um, interview process, I think that's really what's important. They just need to know how you think. Um yeah, and you know, but that's the, and and I think that's tough for any institution and for any student to do is visually show that UX UI process because, I mean, how do you visually? Okay, so the portfolio, everybody's looking at it, um, but the end result is kind of what you see, but showing the showing you that you interviewed somebody how do you visually show that interview how do you visually show um how do you i mean i guess it's a ux ui program like how do you get you know the prospective employer to look at your online portfolio to realize that you did you know this like here's my research here's how i interpreted the research here how here's how i applied my research do you Mm -hmm. that's just that's complicated. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was a really, um, it was really difficult for me to figure out how I could do it in, you know, um, a thorough way while trying to be s- still succinct because I know hiring managers don't have enough time, don't yeah. have that much time to look at all of these. Um, so a lot of it was trying to find that balance and trying to like test it with different people to see if they got the main point from my case studies. And I, I also know that a lot of hiring managers are different in what they what they prefer because there are some people that I just talked to that said you just take all the text out like they just they don't have time, but um, some of the other ones that I talked to said this is great like I, I wanted to know all of this and so um, mine is kind of in a semi essay format not really an essay but. Um, I do have like paragraphs of text and then kind of try to visually show what I did and then try to transition it to like, okay, from this part, from this research, I, um, we came up with this and then, then we came up with this. It was just kind of more of like a story format to Mm -hmm. just show them my thought process. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you that it is very hard to sometimes convey yeah, and I think that's that's the as an educator, I could do a better job of <laughs> of, of doing that, of helping my students prepare their their work so mm-hmm. uh, so that the that the research that the thinking behind the the final pieces is, is more obvious than it's just because there's not a single imp- there's not anybody who I've interviewed during these podcasts who said that oh I just I just look at the visuals I don't care how they how they everything was arrived at. 
they so they want to see the process but what varies is <laughs> how much willing how how willing they are to like dig through everything to see the process right well i think it also depends on the role that they're interviewing for so mm -hmm. ux designers for ux designers i, I think the hiring manager or yeah. um you know recruiter might be more interested in the ux process uh, whereas for visual designers they want to see more ui work more visual work and so they aren't as concerned with the UX part. Yeah, and no, and, and that's, and you can kind of split it along that lines, but even the visual uh, folks that are the more predominantly visual still want to know that there is, they want to know that there was a thought process behind mm -hmm. it. They just right. don't want to spend as much time finding it, uh -huh. <laughs> I guess. Um, so anyway, I, I liked your portfolio because that's I was looking at it and I liked the story narrative part to it because I thought that was a really good, not that you need my Capital One already <laughs> affirmed oh, that, that that worked, you. but it made <laughs> sense to me. It helped me wrap my head around that problem. So um, one cool. last question before I let you go. Um, well, second to last. Mm -hmm. So from these, you know, these like boot camps, and I know it's not comparing apples, you know, to apples. But is there something that you really liked in these, you know, like condensed programs that you think just traditional universities, colleges, community colleges could take from the format? I think the biggest thing for me was uh, a bigger focus on getting at least one real world project and working with um, real clients. Mm -hmm. and. I think designation. So designation is located in 1871, which is a co-working space in Chicago. Yep. So we were co-located with a lots of startups, and you know, startups are usually strapped for design resources, and you know, welcome any help on that aspect. So we had pretty much, um, you know, very easy access to getting work to put on our portfolios. Um, so I think just so a traditional four-year design program. Um, at least for me, I would benefit a lot from just having like an internship kind of experience, mm -hmm. um, just working with a real company and getting that experience out there because it can, even um, between my boot camp experience and working at Capital One was a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, and um, also that I think that just goes for any four-year programs um, outside of design. I think like for my science major, I would, I would have benefited a lot from just doing an internship, um, uh, related to science, um, just to see like what's out there and like how people actually work instead of just being siloed into, um, you know, the everyday like lecture and, um, doing the lab, um, kind of stuff at school is very different. So just, um, that's what I would say, just yeah. more focus on real world stuff. Um, just, okay. So just one quick follow up to that. And I just, you what are your thoughts on it? I've talked to my students about that all the time. And one of the problems that I come across with, with that is that students don't, I don't like them working to give their work away for free. Mm -hmm. And so, and I don't think the startups are probably, A, are they really even paying anything? I mean, even if they're paying a dollar, at least they're actually acknowledging the value. Um, and so I know a lot of students like, just like, don't really like that. Um, mm -hmm. so how do you feel about it? I mean, where do you feel on the spectrum? 
Well, I definitely understand because, you know, students <laughs> um, are strapped for resources. And so, like, you could definitely use that summer to, like, work for um, and work and um, get paid rather than doing an internship for free. Um, but I, I still think it would it is valuable to mm -hmm. even do it for the portfolio piece. Um, and I, I know that a lot of students don't realize like what real world experience means until, you know, they get to the workplace and they realize like, Oh, I didn't like, this is very different from, um, what school was like. Um, so, um, I do understand both sides, but I, I still think that it is, um, very important and it should be encouraged. Yeah. And it's yeah. the one thing that I don't, I, eventually I'll pick a side, but right now I don't. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before I let you go, is there anything that you are personally working on that you want to share or is there something that you wanted to say, you know, any advice that you want to give just basically free mic? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, nothing personally that I'm working on right now, but, um, just, one thing I just want to share is that Capital One Design Team um, is doing awesome things, and we've got really awesome and talented people here. And I've been really impressed with the team so far and how committed everyone is to transforming this bank to um, like a tech company. Um, and so um, if anyone's interested, the team has a Medium blog called uh, One Design. And um, I can send you the link afterwards, Gary. Oh, yeah, please we, do. Yeah. Um, but we publish stories of the impact that the team has had, um, and they're all really good. So you should check it out. Yes, and Capital One has been stepping up their game, like I said, since I'm a customer. <laughs> yeah. And because I teach design, trust me, I'm mm -hmm. like the I'm I love watching how everything. I think when I just it's not too long ago that they did like a huge redesign on the on the consumer end of the like consumer products. And mm -hmm. it was really well. I, I like it. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have time for today on episode 44 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Jisoo, for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening. And I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases, you can follow us on Twitter at DesignEDU Today, like the Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you'd like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through Twitter or the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.